Have you been thinking about starting a podcast but aren't sure where to start? I have to tell you about Anchor. It's a free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Not only that, but with literally one click, they distribute your podcast to platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more so you can reach more listeners. They make it so easy. It was a no-brainer for us. Try it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work because business is personal. And now, today's story. So working with a client that screen prints t-shirts, we were out on site talking with them about how they do their t-shirts and they were falling very much behind in their production. And the manager of this department was very, very frustrated with them. He was frustrated with their lack of production. They're not keeping up with everything. Uh, so we were out on the floor and we were talking with people who run, run the machine. And one of the things that we realized was that they had no idea how much they made. They had no idea whether they won at the end of the day. We asked, we asked several of them said, hey, what's a good day look like for you? And they said, I don't know, I come in and there's a giant pile of t-shirts over here. And at the end of the day, that giant pile of t-shirts is a little bit smaller. Like we just, we're just trying to get stuff out and it just, but every day it's just like this mountainous stuff and doesn't feel like we're making any progress. So one of the things that we did that was really, really simple is we just said, what if we start showing them what the score is? Let's show the employees in the field how many shirts they make. We don't have to set goals. We don't have to do anything. Let's just show them what the score is. So they started to get into a habit of after the shift was over, they would tell the group, hey, you just, did you know you screen printed 4,000 shirts today? I'll just make up numbers. And they said, 4,000 shirts today. Okay, that's great. Yeah, 4,000 shirts. Is that good or bad? We don't know. So they just started to keep track of that and to see how much they did that day. Uh, the owner called us a couple of weeks later and said that the first full week where they had done that, on the Monday, they produced 4,000 shirts. On the Tuesday, they did 5,000 shirts. On Wednesday, they did 8,000 shirts. On Thursday, they did 12,000 shirts. And on Friday, they did 15,000 shirts. Yeah. Uh, it was production that they had not seen before at that level. Uh, all they did was showed them what they were doing, showed them the score. Very often in business, we show up, we do our job, we go home. We don't have a really good idea is if we're helping the company or not. Are we doing a good job? Are we winning or not? And so that's why we wanted to talk today about keeping score. How do we utilize keeping score in business to be able to help us and help our employees and help managers and everybody else know whether they're winning or not? And what impact does that have on engagement? I love the idea of that, you know, that you had just mentioned, we didn't even have to create this elaborate scorecard, right? We didn't have to create this elaborate numerical system. We just said, we're just going to tell them what they're doing, right? And, and then they'll take it upon themselves. Uh, you know, innately, we're kind of competitive anyway, deep down uh, for some of us a little deeper down, but, uh, but, but, but what we want to do a good job, typically people want to do a good job. And so just kind of having it front of mind uh, encourages us to, to even improve on that. Don, we don't have to go there, but you do share another story about the, the cultured marble uh, where we, you just, you task the one individual to just, hey, see all the excess that you that we, we keep ending up with all this excess on a pallet. I don't even know how you got there. I don't know how much money that's equating to, but can you just kind of figure it out and see if we can do better? Yeah, we and, just had him write down how much waste he had every and showed him how to do that. And he had yeah. a number to work on. 
we transferred that number amount of waste to a dollar amount so that he could relate to it. Right. And he was throwing away about eight or $900 worth of marble every day, which was a lot more than he was making during that day. Right. Uh, so it just, it was like, my gosh, I don't feel like I should be throwing this much away. So we started working on ways to reduce that. And he pretty much eliminated all of the waste over a few, several yeah. weeks and months. And not because we went and told him that it was important for it to, to bring down. But again, all we did is reflect to him in the score. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I, I like that. I think both of those examples, you didn't go to them and say, listen, you're at 4,000 shirts. I need you at 5,000 by tomorrow. Right. And we didn't go and say, Hey, you have three, you know, um, overages of the culture marble blocks that it's costing us a lot of money. I need you to eliminate that by 50% in the next week. Right. None of those things were happening. I think sometimes when we're talking about keeping score, that might be a hesitation that people have. Uh, because they, they feel like they have to create the scorecard uh, in the first place to be able to keep track of. So let's start with the first question here. And really, what do we mean by keeping score? What are we talking about? What does that mean? What does that look like? Because there's there's people probably listening right now that are trying to equate that. Okay, so that's tangible, X amount of t-shirts, X amount of culture marble over overages, but really there's a bigger picture. What do we mean by keeping score? Understanding where you are to where you want to be. So like just having that baseline understanding, where are you now and where do you want to be? I, I love that. I love, I think that's very, very simple. And we can also die easily digestible for even the average worker, right? Where are we now? Where do you want to be? The other, another reason why I like that, and I'll throw it to you all uh, again, Bethany, Don here in just a second. Another reason why I like that is because sometimes we might have an idea of where we think that they need to be. But whenever we ask them, where would you like to be? Or where do you think we could be? A lot of times their answer is even more aggressive than what we as the manager or leader would have given them in the first place, uh, which is positive. It could be positive there too, right? Shoot for the moon. So yeah, I'd be a little bit careful. Sometimes I've, I've been in, you know, I came from a manufacturing environment. A lot of you are listening right now saying, well, this will work really well in manufacturing and the examples we're giving are manufacturing, but how does this work in like an office environment? And I think we can talk about that here in a little bit, but I think you should be careful about what goals you set sometimes for your team. Sometimes I think it's better to reflect the numbers a little bit first, like in whatever you're doing, uh, and then just kind of put it out there on the table and let people kind of decide, well, what can we do better? Uh, there was a manufacturer that we work with. They started, they recognized that they did a lot of rework and rework in manufacturing means you did it once and then you had to do it again because there was a quality issue on it. And they were doing a lot of rework and they felt that like they didn't measure it, but they felt it and everybody hated it because they mm -hmm. saw the same thing being done multiple times. And it was causing a lot of problems internally. When they measured it, they found out that they were doing things an average of four times before they would get it right. I mean, that's a lot. So their goal, they set a goal, management looked at it and set a goal and said, if you can cut that in half, that would save us a ton of money. That would be huge. Well, this team got together and worked on that and they would, and the management would reflect the number every week and they could show them this is how much rework we had, this is how much rework we could have, this is how much rework we had. That team cut the rework. They beat the 50% target. They actually cut it by 98%. Uh, so that 50% target would have, was actually, I mean, it was, took a lot of work for them to hit that, but you, you want to be careful about that. Sometimes it's reflecting the numbers and letting people really just take off with it. Yeah. I really like that. I think as an employee, one of the most frustrating things can be when somebody sets goals for you and you have, and then you see that you or your team is not meeting that goal and you can't figure out <laughs> why, but you also had no say in setting that goal. So you don't understand where that goal came from. How did they get to that number? 
Um, what are some of the things that contributed to that? And then also just being a part of, okay, well, here are some of the things that I might run into on a day-to-day -day basis that prevents me from getting to that number. And so I think for employees, it's really helpful to be able to be a part of that conversation of reflecting, just being able to show some information about, okay, over the last few years, you know, this is what, this is what we know. Um, what can you do realistically? Because we, people want to beat those goals. They want to, they want to do better. They want to succeed. Um, and if you're looking at the reality of things um, and you're not even attaining that, then that is frustrating. But if you're continually being handed goals that you don't understand, or you, you know, you don't have any context for then trying to meet that goal especially if it's way beyond maybe the past goals, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to be motivated in that, I think, or to understand it. I, I have a good example of that, Bethany, I think just for us, and I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here, but we'll be a little bit vulnerable here. If I asked our team right now, like at people centric, what's like a key metric that we track? What's a key number that we look at? Recurring revenue. Recurring revenue. Would you say agree with that, Bethany? Would agree. Recurring revenue. Yeah. Monthly recurring revenue is like a key number that we all track. And I think where everybody, I didn't set us up for that either. I just kind of threw that out there. Everybody said the same kind of number and that's the clients that pay us on a monthly basis. And we track that and it's key for where we're going and what we have. Uh, we've been playing the great game of business over the last couple of years and we've been sharing that number. So everybody has a good feel for like what a good recurring revenue is on that. Um, I think I've made the same mistake, Bethany, as a few months ago, as I set, I set a goal for us on recurring revenue. Does anybody on the call know what that goal is? I don't. No, in fact, I have, I have had to keep asking you for, so that we can make certain decisions, right? And so there have been a couple of times where I've been like, so are we close to that? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember those levers of where we needed yeah. to be to hire certain people, if that's what yeah. you're asking. Yeah. Now what's, what's interesting is so like we decided we're going to, we're about to hire another team member and we set a goal for recurring revenue to hit that, that, right. that team member. And I think everybody, that's the goal you're talking about. I set a goal before that of where I wanted us to get to. But I said it completely on my own. And I said it before you all had really good exposure to what those numbers were. And it's not, it's out there. It's what I'm thinking. I think I looked at it and I was like, I don't know where you got that number. Mm -hmm. We need to change that. Like, I don't, yeah, I felt I'd, it was an odd number. I've used that not to call everybody out on this call. Everybody's looking at me on the Zoom call like, wow, you're kind of, what are you doing right now? But I do that to say like, I, our jobs. I as a leader have made that mistake. <laughs> I am trying as hard as I can, Don. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I, Is it really the right forum to have this conversation right now? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you should. Oh, it's, it's praise in public. I'm sorry, I messed that up. I'm sorry, doing it on live on the podcast is embarrassing for everybody here. So embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. But no, I wanted to really back Bethany's point because I think I made, I made that mistake from that side. I've got a goal. I've got it written down on my monitor down here. I have shared it with everybody and there's no context. It goes back to what you said before, like just putting the number out there uh, you all are very tuned into the goal that we need to hit in order to hire somebody. I think everybody kind of knows how close we are to that. And like, we're very close to that uh, because that's a goal that you all helped us to create. We knew what we wanted to be able to do. We looked at the game and we helped to create that. So I'm just kind of backing that as a point. Yeah. I also wanted to use that as an example because there, we're not a production manufacturing type business, but there's also a really good metric for us to keep score on. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we have not yet hit that number. For those of you listening that would like to work with us, we're not we're not quite ready for you. But we could lower the number and get lesser of an employee. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Maybe yeah. we just won't. 
Yeah. We'll let you know all- if you apply with us, whether you're not, you were the like high target or like. A- <laughs> right. Right. We might lower our revenue. No, eh, we could afford that. Like we could afford that one. We could but, do that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I think, I think there's two, I think there are two lanes to this, right? So it's, it's, uh, you know, where, where are we kind of like uh, Diana was talking about earlier, but then also giving them the context of saying, okay, now how do we build a plan to get there or to achieve the things that we're going to do? You know, the, the t-shirt example there were five, 4,000, 5,000, 8,000. The thing that was maybe missing from that is 4,000, which impacts the bottom line like this, or 5,000, which impacts our ability to do certain things you know, uh, going forward, Don, I'll be a little bit vulnerable um, as well, um, except the other way. Before we started talking about scorecards, revenues, and things like that to keep score internally, Don came to the table, and it was a darker time for people-centric, I guess, because I was a bright-eyed employee, eager to, you know, shoot for the moon, and uh, Don came to the table with a, a set of plastic cups, and he built a pyramid on the table to show us and Don said, this is our revenue. Like, this is, this is our money. This is our money. And I'm sitting across the table like, uh-huh, okay. And then all of a sudden, I don't remember what he said, but I remember he tumbled the cups down to like two. Now he, he toppled them all down to like two. And was like, unless there's some other things that happen, like this is what we're looking at for money. And I don't even know the context, but I do remember the illustration of, okay, so we need to either find another job or do something different, right? And this is also, that's a, maybe a, a very rough way of, of keeping score or what that potentially looks like. But the next question is, okay, so we don't want that to happen. So what do we need to do in order to prevent that from happening? Which is also part of the reason why we want to keep score in the first place, right? Just to kind of create this transparency of this is where we are, where do we want to go? But then how do we get there? What are the levers that we can pull in order to change the score, right? The goal of keeping score is not to show you what you did. You know, you're not, you don't drive by looking in the rear view mirror and say, oh, what hit, what just hit me? Uh, You know, you're trying to make decisions moving forward. There's certainly a lot of risk of sharing stuff like that. But I think that whenever you share that and you're open with that, you know, Matt's talked a lot about humble leadership. We've talked about vulnerability before um, that, that, that shows your team like, yeah, we look like we're really successful, but at that time, like we weren't, we weren't successful. What that does though, is like, you're still here. That's a good sign. Right. (laughs) And I remembered it. And you remembered it. Like we worked together to figure that out and that we did figure that those things out and we're in a much better spot now than we were before. And maybe talk about that too, right? Because I would venture to say there's probably some managers and leaders right now that do not want to keep score because they're losing the game currently, right? They're losing right now. I don't want to keep score. Sounds great. If we had some sort of light at the end of the tunnel that I could share some good news with my people, but you might not be winning that game. So why would I want to do that still? Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about what your employees do think about you because we're consultants and we get to hear it directly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so we, we know what the employees are thinking about the owners of companies, right? First of all, many, many, many employees think that you have a ton of money and yeah. that you keep it in a hidden cabinet behind your desk. Yeah. And because yeah. they look at numbers and they see you charging large amounts of money for something and they know what they get paid. And they're like that number, other numbers way higher than the number I have. And they don't really have a good understanding of all of the stuff that goes into it. You know, that's they, why you drive that sweet Honda. That's why I drive that sweet, sweet three-year-old Honda Accord. It's really nice. <laughs> right. It's parked outside. If anybody wants to come by our office, they can come check it out. It's really nice. I can go for a ride on it. We call it the chopper just so we could say we yeah. go for the go for a ride in the chopper. True. But 
I, I think that whenever you educate people and you open the doors, I mean, if you're, if you really are raking it in and messing over your employees, then don't open the doors to them. Like, don't do that. Also stop doing that. Look, quit it. Yeah. yeah don't, don't be that jerk. Right. But look, if you open the door for your employees a little bit, I think what you will find is they'll have a better appreciation. It's not just open the door and give them a glimpse and then shut the door. You have to open the door and really explain and kind of teach and spend some time exploring like Bethany said before, uh, give them some context of, of some history all that stuff so they can really understand it. The average business, you know, we could ask you listeners right now, you know that whenever a business makes a dollar in revenue, that that doesn't go straight to profit at the end of the day. How much of that dollar do you think that the company gets to keep at the end of the day of a dollar for an average business in the United States? You're thinking of a number right now, right? In the US, what do you want to say, Diana? I was just going to say like, well, if it's based on, this is what somebody would say. If it's based on my pay, they keep 98 cents of it, right? Like, yeah. The average response is, nine, is 38 cents on the dollar. The average employee thinks that you keep as, an, as a business 38 cents on the dollar. In reality, the average company makes between seven and eight cents on the dollar. And a company like Walmart makes three or four cents on the dollar. And so poor, different industries make even less than that. Like food industries make two cents on the dollar. They make one or two cents on the dollar. And a lot of companies in 2020 made less negative five cents on the dollar. They must right. make a lot of dollars. Yeah, Walmart. they must make a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Walmart. Have lots of three cent transactions, though. A, a, a lot of you are like feeling really bad for Walmart right now. I can tell you're like, oh, <laughs> poor Walton's. Those guys are struggling. They are not. They have doing all right. quite high volumes. They're doing okay. But the point of all that is I think by sharing some of that, you're going to dispel some things of what people think. They probably think it's worse than it really is. There was a company that I was talking to that went into 2020, you know, the pandemic hits, revenues way down. And I mean, a huge threat to the company. I mean, there's companies that are closing big time because they're losing so much money right now. That's just, that's the, that's the fact. And by the way, if you want to know where profit goes, that's where profit goes is to prevent that closing thing from happening. That's where profit really, really does go or it should go. Um, so this company was really facing some really tough decisions coming up and they realized they were probably gonna have to do some furloughs. So they were going to do some like week long furloughs, like around the 4th of July, around Christmas time, you know, and give people some unpaid time off, uh, during that. What they did was really cool though, is they went to their employees and said, we're going to plan for three weeks of furloughs on these dates, these dates, and these dates, but we're going to watch this revenue number. And if we can get that number above here, then we can, we can skip one furlough. If we can get it above here, then we can skip two furloughs. And they laid that out for everybody. And what ended up happening was everybody worked together to try to hit that number and they were able to avoid the last furlough. So imagine that the team kind of gets excited about that. Like they got excited about only being furloughed two weeks. Like they got excited about not getting right. paid for two weeks because they were engaged in the numbers. They understood it. Where the companies, other companies that I saw who did the layoffs, but didn't talk to their employees about it, or they didn't understand, or they weren't part of the game. It's like, oh, my boss is not making enough money driving that Honda outside. And they laid me off because he wanted to protect himself. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's really just sharing what this, the importance of sharing those numbers. All right, so, so let's maybe take it a step further here too, um, because I think we've alluded to it just a couple of times, maybe some of the examples that we've given. Well, here's the question, can we measure everything? I don't think so. And I don't think you want to, right? I think the key is to measure the important things and also the things that your people can have an impact on. It's really hard when you're an office administrator 
to make more sales, right? So like maybe you don't measure make more sales. Maybe you measure how can you make the impact to this number, this revenue number, this bottom line number. I think it's measure the things that are important and the things that are actually able to have an impact by your employees. That's great. Thanks, Diana. Bethany? I just wanted to add to that because I think that that's really good. And also that not only should you not measure everything, but you should also help people know the why behind why you're measuring that thing. Because you can pick an arbitrary thing to measure and everybody's like, great, okay, but like, what's the purpose of that? What does that do for us at the end of the day? And so that I think that's really important too. Yeah, so me, me, us keeping score of this, does that help us achieve the actual objective that we're trying to achieve? If we're keeping score of this, are we on the road towards achieving some of the objectives that we've set for ourselves? If not, maybe that tells us, okay, we're keeping track of the wrong things then too, right? Yeah, the purpose of data is always insight. It's the story yeah. behind the numbers. It does, it does it help to inform us so that we can make better decisions moving forward? Yeah, I got to work with, it was an employee-led team that we were that we were uh, working with. And one of the, the team existed because one of the employees said, I would like to look at uh, like our internal scorecard. What are we keeping track of that's important to us? And the reason why they wanted to pulse check that with feedback from customer surveys. And I thought it was brilliant because they were going, are we holding our employees accountable? This is a frontline employee. Are we holding ourselves accountable to the things that really seem to matter ultimately to the customers that we are servicing? And I thought that was fantastic. What a great question. So, you know, maybe instead of getting caught up on, we need to, we need to put a metric to everything. We need to put a score to everything. Um, that's, not, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. If it's not helping you provide insight uh, into those objectives or, or helping us improve something that helps us achieve the objectives, then we might not want to keep track of that anyway. Maybe, maybe change the standards of what it is that we are keeping track of. So other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I have one thought. I worked with a brewery and the owner kept telling their people like, we got to sell more beer. We got to sell more beer. And I looked at him and I said, what is more mean? Like, is it one more can? Would one more can save the company? Yeah. Cause we would have so, sent you right over. What? We would have sent you right over. I had to take care of that. I had to save the company. Go save that, <laughs> save that company. Done. <laughs> And so he was like, well, no, obviously. And I was like, okay, well, what about like a thousand cans more? And he was like, well, not really. And I was like, okay, 10,000 cans more. And he was like, that's closer. And I was like, okay, well then we need to be more specific because more is not specific enough. Right. So I think you can get too specific and too caught up in the details, but just saying more or just saying like add to or whatever, I think, it, I yeah. think you need some specificity. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it, it's really easy for us to get caught up in creating superficial goals. For example, I used to re do recruiting. My boss would set goals for us on this is the number of people that you want to reach, basically. Like we're looking at just who you talk to, right? And that's what the goal was every time. And then I struggled so much with that because I, I was like, but that doesn't really matter. What you're really after is how many people are converted or how many applications we get from those people, right? So why are we measuring the big picture? I understand what you're trying to do. Um, and that's not really what the perp, that's not really what you're trying to solve for. That looks really good on paper, but that's not what's 
most helpful. Yeah. And I think that is a really good point, Bethany, because we've also seen measuring some of that stuff and how it can backfire, right? Don talks a lot about how if you gamify something, people are going to beat the game, right? And so you have to be really smart about how you put those metrics in place. Don, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's an old saying that, you know, show me how you're going to measure me and I'll show you how I measure up. Uh, you know, when I used to work at 3M, they had a lot of metrics that they would put out there. And because of those lots of metrics that were put out there, I saw a lot of unethical behavior inside the company to be able to make metrics, to hit metrics. Uh, because the metrics were used by management to measure employees and ultimately rate them and score them and give them raises and things like that. So it's really easy to be able to do that. I used to do an exercise where I would take, uh, have somebody roll dice and I would say, hey, roll this number on this dice. And if they got this certain number, I would say you were successful with it. Uh, if they didn't, then I'd say, hey, do it again. What I didn't I tell you clearly to roll this number? And you could just, you could just, I would just start yelling at them, like if they did it wrong. And after a little while, and it wouldn't take a lot, they would kind of take the dice and kind of put it behind their back and set it and then set it down on the table. You know, they would cheat. It doesn't take a lot to get people to do unethical behavior if you're going to blame them for m missing numbers. You know, you, you have to sometimes lose. You know, I, I can think of a, a football coach uh, that, that I used to follow quite a bit who would just scream at his players every time they would screw up anything. Uh, so if they were behind that, and then the players would just really get lost in the thinking, like, I just don't want to screw up. I can't screw up. I can't screw up. And they would just play not to lose, you know, instead of play to win. I could think of a manufacturing company that we worked with that put this idea of red tags in for quality checks just to make sure that the quality of the things that they were putting out was great for the consumer. The problem is if you had too many red tags, you were fired. And so the employees then were like, okay, if that's the way we're going to do it, then I'm just going to scrap all of these things that I don't think are going to make the standard. They may have, but they were losing a lot of money. The ripple effect is they were losing a lot of money in scrapping this raw material uh, to avoid this metric, this red tag that, that uh, executives had put into place from an honest place, just making sure the quality was good. So that's, that's, I think that's another example. And, and, um, I don't know. I, we were talking about how keeping score can backfire um, as well. I think those are two good examples of maybe where employees kind of take it upon themselves to make their own rules to the game um, if we're not keeping score of the right things. And I think that's an opportunity for leadership. You know, like that example, the CEO, whenever we brought the red tags up, uh, it was immediately hand to forehead like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that happened. And he wasn't even necessarily blaming the employees. They're going, we have to rewrite, we have to rewrite the rule then. We need to rethink this because that is not getting the desired outcome uh, from these employees that we need. So we need to keep score, keep track of something else. Another example I can share real quick is there was a department that they said they wanted the department, the employees in the department to come up with a certain amount of cost savings every year. And they had to hit it every single year. So the this this department got into the habit of every other year they would do these two projects. And the two projects would counteract each other, but they would show savings on their own. So the one year was to outsource maintenance to these contractors so they could reduce internal costs. So instead of having all these internal maintenance people doing stuff, they could outsource it to these contractors so they could lower their costs of internal labor. Now, it increased the cost overall because you had to pay outside people to do that, but that's not the number they were looking at. So then the next year, what they would do is they would say, now let's bring stuff in-house so that we can save money on this other metric. And they would just point to the two different, whichever metric they wanted to show. And every year they could show that they were saving money. 
Uh, what's interesting yeah. is within the same company with that program in place of every division is responsible for saving X amount of dollars. They were rolling up the numbers and reporting it company wide of look how much money we save, look how much money we save, look how much money we save. They got to the end and this is a, this was a $16 billion company and they had to stop reporting the savings because the savings didn't make any sense. Like it was <laughs> like this company saved $53 billion last year. Right. Like, and the shareholders, they reported at a shareholders meeting, the shareholders were like, where's the money at? Like yeah. that's an incredible <laughs> amount of savings. Where's that money at? And it didn't make sense. And it's because most of it was fake. A lot of it was fake. Yeah. You know, it when I, before I started working with people Centric, I worked for a very large bank and we had an employee satisfaction survey because they wanted to keep score and gauge how satisfied the employees were. The problem with the survey was it was directly my, my employee satisfaction score. The scores were exact, were tied to my race. So I was very, very satisfied every time they asked, uh, but it was tied to my race. So it was winning for me, but for the company, I'm not 100% sure that they were getting accurate information from everybody. Uh, so again, just identifying what it is that we think that we need to keep score on. Is it overall helping us uh, be better? So other thoughts here before we go around the horn and uh, give tips on keeping score? All right, let's let's do it then. Diana, start us off. What's a good tip? If we were going to give one tip uh, on keeping score, maybe it's how to keep scores, a, a tip on how to set it up in the first place, or maybe a, a, you know watch out for this pitfall with keeping score. What do you have for us? Start small, right? Measure something little, start at a small baseline, figure out some, some easy data to get, just to get in the mindset of working with data and reflecting that data back at a regular cadence. I wouldn't start a huge project and like revamp your entire system and, you know, shake things up immediately. I would start really small with something that everyone can see and reflect it back often just to see what happens and where the shifts are and where some of the pitfalls are for your organization. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Thanks, Diana. Bethany? Help people know the why behind the goals that you're setting and why it matters to them. Just saying, we just want to make more money. So let's set this goal to make more money. Okay, that's great. But how does that actually apply to your employees and, and really making it something personal for them? So help tell that story a little bit. Awesome. I like it. Don, how about you? I think scorecards are an amazing tool when they are created with the help of management, but then handed over to the employee. Yeah. And I think it's that second part that avoids a lot of those horror stories we were sharing at the end, which we have a lot more of, because what you do as management is you're working with your employees to try to understand something, and then you're handing it to the employee so that they can figure out what to do with it. I think that's an important piece to that. That makes it a really powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and, I, and I think, you know, part of mine was going to be involve them in the process, yeah. help them help you goal set. Even whenever Don, you know, we sat around the table, you know, Don's thought was not, hey, this is what I think we should keep score of. And this is the way this is going to work. The first question was, knowing what we know, what do you all think would be important for us to keep track of? And it was an open question, right? And so involving them in the process, even if you don't think they know, there's still value in that conversation of letting them explore maybe what it is. My other tip might be avoid emotional goal setting. Sometimes it feels like when we're drowning, it feels like, dang it, just do better. Sell more beer or make more sales. Just do better. Make more money. And because then I don't know that we are, we are creating um, a clear scope or path of, of what it is that we're trying to accomplish 
And is it even something that we want to keep track of? So maybe take a step back. Uh, uh, we get caught so much. I mean, 2020 has been super reactionary, I think, as far as a year is concerned. I think it's an opportunity for leaders to be proactive. Take a step back. What is it that you want to accomplish? And then let's keep score of the things that are going to help us accomplish those things that we think are important. All right. Thanks for joining us again on the More Than Work podcast. If you have other ideas for topics, we would love to hear from you. Bethany, tell them how to get a hold of us. Thanks for listening today. The More Than Work podcast is produced by People-Centric Consulting Group, a consulting firm that believes people should be put at the center of every organization. If you have a topic you want our team of experts to address, feel free to contact us at morethanworkpodcast at peopleccg.com. You can also learn more about us by visiting our website at www.peoplecentric.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week to give you practical advice that you can use to improve your work. In the meantime, lead well.